One of the things I realized that the numerous opportunities I've had to come up here and bring the message to you guys, does anybody not know who I am? Of course, there's a few hands that go up. Um, if you don't know who I am, um, Pastor Rich Van Houten, um, some of you know me as Dr. Rich Van Houten, either way, um, I'm here serving the Lord. Teacher, thank you, Julie. And this morning, the message I have for you is, I've entitled it, Love is Blind. And what I should have had is, Love is Blind, question mark. But I don't think of all those things at the time we're preparing these, but love is blind. When you hear that statement, what do you hear? Or what does that mean to you? Anybody have any ideas? Has anybody ever heard that term before, or that phrase? Love is blind. What's it mean? Unconditional love. Does it mean you overlook flaws? Okay. Again, I'm going to tell you no. That's not a correct definition. Because if love was blind, what hope would we have? There'd be no hope. Because if love was truly blind... You know, did Jesus' love for us cause him to look away from our sins? Or did it bring action? So if love is truly blind, and that's what the world would like us to believe, is we would ignore each other's sins. We would look away, we'd say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, husbands and wives, if, if love was blind, I could do anything abusive to my wife and she would just be blind to it. <laughs> That's not going to happen, she said. Okay. So as the body of Christ, we're called to look out for each other. We're called to love each other unconditionally, but in a way that's helpful, that's edifying that's building up of each other. And so when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ in love and we see sin in their life, do we ignore it? Do we go tell our neighbors about it? Do we address it? As a brother in Christ, if I see a brother in Christ in sin, I don't just ignore him. I go to him in love and say, what you're doing is breaking the command of God. And I do it in a way to bring him back into a right relationship, bring him back into a healthy relationship so that he, that he and I'm saying, using the word he, is so that he can fulfill the purposes that God has for his life. If we just allow each other to continue in our sin, the body of Christ that we're all part of isn't going to function as well as it should. My pancreas... If my pancreas is not functioning properly, I can still live. But am I going to be as healthy as I could be? So I need to figure out why my pancreas isn't working properly so my whole body can express itself in the way that God intended it to. And so as the body of Christ, as Praise Fellowship, sitting here as a unified body, is if I'm in sin and you guys ignore it, this body is not going to be as healthy as it should be. It's not going to do what God created and put us here to do. 
And so in love, we have to take the blinders off. We have to be willing to go into each other's lives and know each other and trust each other and know that we're doing what God created us to do, what he intended us to do. And so love cannot be blind. If you will, turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And again, this is something, you know, those of you that have had me, you know, in the classes and the ISOM classes, one of the things that I constantly say is don't ever believe what I say just because I say it. If I can't back it up in scripture, you need to let me know. So we have to, you know, this is a refrain. You have to know your Bibles. You can't expect me to tell you what's in the Bible and you just believe me. You have got to find out for yourself what it is that the Lord's saying. Matthew 9, verse 36. This is talking about Jesus. But when he saw his love blind, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because <clears throat> they fainted and were scattered abroad, and sheep having no shepherd. So the thing I wanted you to, to see in there is when Jesus saw, it moved him to compassion. If love was blind, Jesus would have said, they're on their own. Figure it out, people. Hope you make it. Is that what Jesus did? He laid his life down because he was not blind, because love is not blind. He was moved by compassion. And then in John chapter 11, verse 33, this is the story of Lazarus and you know, Lazarus' sisters. And Jesus saw her weeping. He saw her. Love is not blind. Jesus saw her weeping, and it moved him. And they said, come and see where he who you loved is buried. Did Jesus have to go to the tomb? But he needed to see. He needed to see what needed to be done. And so when he went and saw the, the mourning, the weeping that was going on because Lazarus was dead, Jesus moved by the compassion because love is not blind. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And it says when he came and saw where they were buried, what happened? Jesus wept. So when we see a need, when we see the hurt that's in people, the dysfunction that's in people, we need to allow love to see through Christ's eyes. Because if we just look and see something and we ignore it, we're not acting like Christ. Jesus' love is what compelled him to do what he came to do. The reason he even came was to bring us back into right relationship with the Father. So again, love cannot be blind and truly be love. Um, this wasn't the message I had prepared for you guys until two days ago. God keeps doing this to me. Um, I had a whole nother message that I'd, he'd actually woke me up about three o'clock, two weeks ago, I think it was. 3 a.m. in the morning, God decides it's time to talk. Doesn't he know I'm trying to sleep? So, um, so I think over the next few weeks, it's a blind message that God's given me. It is the message that I think I'm going to bring to you next week is blind faith. 
Um, and it's, it's such a critical part of who we are and the, the age that we're in right now is there is so much going on in this world that is wrong, that is evil, that it's just hurtful to people. And the church needs to wake up and open its eyes up. And so I think that's what God's given me with this, you know, I guess, series of messages is that we need to open up our eyes and see what he sees. Move with the compassion that he has and the love that he has. And tomorrow is what? Guys, what's tomorrow? Okay. All right. Tomorrow's Monday. Yep. It's Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day is full of all kinds of different emotions. It's full of all kinds of different stupidity, I'll say. Um, okay, well, that part of it, no. But I'll get to that part in a little bit. Um, yeah, my wife has had to suffer with me for many years now. Valentine's Day is all kinds of different things to all kinds of different people. Um, the story of Valentine's Day is if we go back into the 200 AD time frame, um, Claudius was emperor of Rome, and this is how no children in here stupid things are. I know the maize children aren't supposed to hear that word. Is This is how bad men's thinking can be is Claudius decided that for his Roman legions to be more effective, to be more potent in their conquering of the world, is that married men aren't going to fight as hard. They're going to hold back a little bit because they want to get back home to their wife. And that does make a little bit of sense, right? Okay. So he actually made a decree. He made a law that said marriage for young men was illegal. No more marriages for young men in the Roman Empire. Okay. Satan have a plan about destroying families? Let's destroy marriages, right? Okay. So Claudius decreed this back in the 200s, and Valentine, who was a priest, pastor, bishop back then, said, that's not right. God's decree is marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. So Valentine continued doing secret marriages, that couples would come to him and he would still marry them. And word got around to Claudius and the authorities, and they imprisoned him and eventually killed him. And we now celebrate Valentine's Day as the love day. And so, again, guys, if this is the only day that you send your life, wife flowers or candy or give her a gift, you better step it up. <laughs> and my wife reminded me, I don't buy her flowers. I pick her flowers. I like doing that. I you know, go pick her wildflowers and I give her those, but I don't buy her flowers very often. So in a way, I'm guilty of doing that. But my point is, guys, if that's the only day that you honor your wife, show her that you love her, step up your game. That If it's the woman that God has given you, you need to celebrate her every day. Love cannot be blind except for one day of the year. And so Valentine, when he you know, continued doing the marriages, um, eventually cost him his life for it. And that's the tradition that we have now, and it's come a long way from that. You know, now it's about who gets the most, you know, be my Valentine cards or whatever else is done on that day or the one day that, you know, we guys try and say, hey, wife, I love you. 
Okay? Actions need to speak a lot louder than that, guys. What I want to do right now is my wonderful wife is going to come up and join me. Um, she knows this. And what we want to do is I want all of the married couples to stand up right now. I'll, I'll come down here. All right, and stay standing, please. And what we're going to do right now is, if you've ever been to a wedding, they do this all the time, is they celebrate marriage. And so what we're going to do is we're going to see who's been married the longest here. And both of, you, both of the couple needs to be here, so we're going to be exclusive. If, yeah, there's, if both of the spouses need to be here. So um, if you've been married zero, if you've just been married, who's been married less than a year, sit down. All right, Matt, and you want, all right, Matt, and you want to go ahead and sit down. Oh, all right. All right, please stay standing. So we don't have any real newlyweds one year or less, all right? All right, let's go three years and under. Who's been married less than three years? All right. All right, let's go, let's see, 10 years and under. Who's been married less than 10 years? Okay, 15 years and under. <laughs> you don't know. This is impressive. <laughs> All right, 20 years and under. Wow. 25 years and under. <laughs> no, Donna, that is not it. 16 couples, what were we at? 30 years and under. Ann and I have been married, it'll be 33 years this June, so we'll be sitting down in this next round, but 35 years and under. All right. He's there someplace? There he is. All right. 40 years and under. All right. What we got left here? All right, let's do it this way. 41 years. 42 years. 43 years. There's only three left. All right. Dave and Debbie, how long have you guys been married? Whoa. All right. Brad and Annette, stay standing, you three. Couples, how long have you two been married? 46. All right. Jenny and Jenny, how long have you been married? All right. All right, stay standing, you guys. Was it easy getting to those 51 years, 46? Was it easy? Was there work required? Okay. 
Well, what we'd like to do is to honor the longevity of the three marriages and all the others that stayed standing for such a long time is we want to give you some gifts so that you can go on a date. And what's, yeah, gold, silver, and bronze. Our bronze medalists would be Denny and Jenny Mays, the third longest married couple. The silver medalist would be Brad and Annette Stanton, 46. And then our gold medalist, 51 years. All right, let's give them a hand. All right, thank you guys. We wanted to do that just to demonstrate that, you know, Dave and Debbie, I mean, they immediately said, you know, it's been difficult. There's been some bumps in the road. And any married couple that's honest is going to say there's been some turmoil. There's been some travailing. That marriage isn't supposed to be easy because when you bring two different people together, they come in with their own sins. They come in with their own past, their own baggages. And if you just ignore it, because during the honeymoon phase, we ignore a lot of things, don't we? Those little quirky things. Like if my wife had really taken hold of a few of the things I did when I was just dating her, my, we'll just say my little quirkinesses in some areas, <laughs> she ignored them, you know, because my other qualities were so great. <laughs> but six, seven years into the marriage, those things that were really great, the other things were starting to, you know, dig at her a little bit. But we worked at it. She didn't walk away from me when I was stupid. She said, I'm going to fight for what we've done. Marriage is a covenant between man, woman, and God. And if we allow Satan to define what love is, if we allow Satan to define what right and wrong is, he's destroying marriages. He's destroying families. He's destroying the church. Because we're allowing him, Satan, the enemy of our souls, to decide what's right and wrong. The church has to stand up, take the blinders off, and say, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. Marriage is meant to be an example to the world of God's love. And so married couples, you're going to have tr struggles. You're going to have things that you're going to have to figure out. You're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to sacrifice. But it's worth it. Because what God has joined together, the scripture says, let no man put asunder, right? Don't let man tear it apart. And one of the things that some of the counseling that Ann and I have been able to do is I always point out to the guys, he's talking to you. It's not talking about some man from her past to put asunder. He's talking to me. Let this man not put asunder what God has joined together. So those of you that, I mean, I, we've got a whole gamut of what's going on here. We've got the 51 years. We've got, you know, what was it, three years that we had sitting over there? Or how long were you guys? Two years. All right, so those are our newliest weds. And I know we've got a few others in here that are, you know, looking at marriage and you know, going down that road. It's something that you, the world needs to see godly marriages. It has to see godly marriages to redeem what has been done to marriage to this world because that's the hope that the world has is seeing Christ in a marriage yeah. and so guys that's why I'm talking to you specifically 
is because Ephesians, if everybody will turn in their Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, very popular, very common verses talked about when we talk about love and marriage and all those things. But as I said earlier, we have to, you know, the what if that Ann was talking about, the if conference, is what if we truly believed what this thing says? What if we actually did what this thing said and acted like we believed what it said? It would change who I am. It would change who we are as a couple. It would change the world if we truly believed if this thing directed our lives. And so again, guys, I'm going to be talking specifically to you. Again, ladies, you're free to listen. No elbowing your husband in the ribs, please. But Ephesians chapter 5, and even though I'm talking specifically to married couples here, this, these scriptures pertain to all of us. Someday if you're going to get married, these scriptures are good to know right now. If you're not married, if you're divorced, whatever your situation is, the truths that are contained in the Bible apply to all of us in some way. And so we need to just look at it and understand what is it that God is trying to say to us. And Ephesians 5, chapter 25, husbands, love your wives. Okay, ignore the rest of that. Is there a period there? Husbands, love your wives. Okay, my life would be so much easier if there was a period there. Right, guys? Husbands, love your wives. Well, what's that mean? If that's how it ended was right there, I could define what love is. The world's defining what love is. So husbands love your wives. I can do that. Because if it's what I decide it is, it's a real easy job. But fortunately, there's a comma there. Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. All right, that's a little higher standard. As Christ loved the church. But then if we go on, and he gave himself for her, there's the one that makes it a little more difficult. It's no longer my definition of what love is it's what christ did he loved the church he loved us so much that he gave himself for her that's us we are the church we're the body of christ he died for us so when it says husbands love your wives it's a pretty tall order it's not just love your wife it's love your wife as christ loved the church and gave himself for it it's a sacrificial love that the things that I thought I was bringing into this marriage, the plans, the desires, it's not that they have to go away, but they need to fall under the love of Christ. They have to be directed by the love of Christ. And so if it's just me still trying to decide how I'm doing it, I'm missing the mark. So why'd Christ do this? Why'd he die for the church? Verse 26 tells us that he might sanctify or separate and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And then he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should it be holy and without blemish. So why did Jesus die? To give himself the church. He died so that we could be brought back into a right relationship with him and be part of his family, be his bride. And he wants a bride that's without blemish, without spot. 
And so he provides all that we need. He provided the word, the washing of the water by the word. And if you go back into the Old Testament, and when God instructed them to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, there was a certain order that they came into God's presence in the tabernacle. They had to come in from one entrance. There was one way to get into the tabernacle, and that was a gate on the east side. And there's so much symbolism in the tabernacle and what God taught in that. But when they came into the east gate, the first thing they encountered was the brazen altar. They had to come in and offer a sacrifice. They had to humble themselves by giving up some part of themselves, lamb, goat, whatever it happened to be. And they had to offer up the sacrifice. And then the next thing, after you've been offered your sacrifice, there was a brazen laver there. It was basically a big wash basin that they had to wash and spiritually cleanse themselves. And so when it says here in verse 26, that he might cleanse us with the washing of the water of his word. That's why we have to be in the word. That's why we have to hear the word because it's what washes us. It's what cleanses us from the sins and the baggage that we have in our lives. If we don't spend time in the word, we're not cleansing ourselves. We're not understanding the true measure of what God wants us to become. Who we are right now isn't the totality of what God wants for you. So every single one of you sitting here, no matter what your physical or your chronological age is or your spiritual age, this is not the best that God has for you right now. He wants you to grow into his image. He wants you to grow into his mindset, his likeness, so that when you encounter the plans of the enemy, you're not going to crumble. You're going to be able to withstand what Satan brings against you. And I guarantee you that if you try and stand on the word of God, Satan's coming after you. He's not going to let that go. He's going to try and dissuade you. He's going to try and discourage you that it's not worth it. But in Christ, we can withstand all things. We don't have to cower in fear because the world says that marriage is no longer something that you need to honor, that you have to stay pure in your marriage because the world says you don't have to anymore. You can do what you want. You do what makes yourself feel good. And in the book of Judges, that's one of the cycles that God talked about, is that they started doing what they wanted to do. And God would have to bring a judge back into the nation to bring them back onto track. As he does that in our own lives, that when we're off track, the Holy Spirit sometimes using you and me is we'll confront each other, is we'll judge each other. And a lot of people don't like that word, that we're to judge each other is that we're to look at each other and say, are you living the way God created you to live? Are you living the way the word tells us we're supposed to live? And if we're not, if we're not paying attention to the Holy Spirit's proddings or guidances, he'll use me. He'll use a friend of yours. He'll use somebody that is willing to speak truth into your life. Are you willing to receive it, though? So we know that the plan of the enemy is to destroy marriage, right? Is there any question on that? Anybody disagree with me? Because it represents God's presence in a married couple. Married couples are a representation of God's love for God's plan and purpose for this world. 
And so Satan is going to do all he can to destroy marriages. How do we fight back? We thank God for his incredible love. Starts right there. Individually, when's the last time you thank God for your life? When's the last time you thank God for saving you and giving you his son, Jesus Christ? It should be a daily occurrence because every day that we step out into this earth, it's a gift from God. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So today's the day that we're to be serving the Lord. If tomorrow comes for us, thank you. But what are we doing today? How are we living today that's going to honor and glorify God and what he's done in, in us and for us? We need to take his word seriously. We need to make it part of us. And the only way you can do that is by hearing it, by reading it, by listening to it, making it part of you, if you will, drilling it into your head so it gets into your heart eventually. Men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then that's what it says in verse 28. So men, you ought to love your wives as your own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. First time I remember reading that before I was saved, I read that scripture and it's like, that. Just that's a weird one. <laughs> Sounds selfish when I first read it, that if I love my wife, I'm supposed to love her as I love myself. Well, I didn't have real good self-esteem. I didn't have a real good confidence in who I was. And so it's like, oh, that's not that difficult. I don't love myself that much. So loving another person isn't that difficult when you don't love yourself very much. But when we get an understanding of how much God loved us, that's how valuable you are. And I'm going to speak to each one of you individually right now. Ignore everybody else in this room and just whoever you are, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. That's how valuable you are. Amen. It's a simple truth, but it's one we need to hear constantly because our past, people that want to tell us things that aren't true, are constantly bombarding us, telling you you're worthless. You're just a lump of flesh. You were created in the image of God. You are redeemed by the Son of God for his purposes. That makes you more valuable than anything else in this world. If this room was filled with gold, you're still more valuable than that. All the mines in South Africa, the diamond mines, you're more valuable than all the accumulated value of that. Because Jesus didn't die for any of that. What he died for, who he died for, is every one of you sitting in these seats right now. That's the value you have. It's not what I tell you you have value in. It's not what your parents told you you have value in. It's what Christ said you had value in. He said, you are so valuable. I want you so badly in my life, I'm gonna die for you. Greater love has no man than he's willing to lay down his life for his friends. So verses 28 and 29. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord does to the church. 
So guys, what that means is you need to love her more than all other things in your life other than Christ. If you have children, love your children, but your wife should be the apex of your love under Christ. Your job, and again, I don't think I'll step on any toes here today. If you're a fanatic football fan, I know nobody wants the Bengals or the Rams to win either. Doesn't matter, right? But my point there is the things that you enjoy in your life should not supersede the love, the action that you show your wife or your family. So you have to show her more than everything else that you love. And this is tough truth time right now. Is everybody ready for this one? Sit down. Put your seatbelts on. Is for verses 28 and 29 to be your reality in our lives. You can't tell someone you love them and then abuse them. You don't abuse somebody physically, emotionally, or any way if you truly love them. Because God is love. His love for you is boundless. But he doesn't abuse us. His love disciplines us, right? Discipline in God is not abusive. It's saving. It's correct. I've used this example many times with you know, my children. We lived on East Main Street in Youngsville, a busy road at some point, points in the day. And if I see one of my children running towards that road, I'm going to say, I'll use my oldest, Ashley. Ashley, please don't run towards that road. Think that's going to stop her? If I see her running towards that road and there's a semi coming down that road at 40 miles an hour, I'm going to do whatever I have to to stop her from running into that road. If I have to grab her by the hair and yank her back, I'm going to do it. Because I love her and I don't want her to be destroyed. Is it abusive? It might look that way. It might feel like that when she's not understanding why I'm doing it to her. But if I have a relationship with her, I'm going to be able to do whatever it takes to keep her alive. That's what love is. Is it may not feel good when I confront you on an issue, but if I'm doing it in the love of Christ, you'll understand it. just a slight segue and this is where again love is not blind this is again speaking to you guys and this is a class that we've had many times here at PF and we're going to have it coming up again is one of the biggest issues with men in the church is pornography again tough truth Statistics say that in the Christian body, up to 70% of evangelical Christian men look at pornography. 
and my wife always says it's probably a lot higher than that. You may not think of it, if there's anybody sitting in this room that has an issue with pornography, you're abusing your wife. So the class that we run is called the Conquer Series. And probably starting in early March, mid-March, somewhere in that time frame, we're going to be starting another class. And it runs 10 weeks. There's a series of videos. There's workbooks. There's accountability that we bring into it. Because that's the only way to break an addiction, is the love of God and accountability and the truth. And so obviously I'm not going to ask for a show of hands if anybody wants to join into that class. It's a hard issue because pornography holds you in a shameful grip, in a vice. And the only way to break it is by the power of God. And so as the class gets a little more detail, I'll be telling you more about it. There'll be, we don't do sign-up sheets for it, but there will be um, papers that will be available for you to take and get me the information so I know who to contact. It is men only. So, and again, I'm not saying it's only a problem for men, but the predominance of it is a male problem. So that's the tools that we have at the moment is we're gonna be running it for men only, so yes. So again, we need to address that. We need to, again, we need to stand in truth, but we need to do it in love because whatever my issue is, whatever my addiction is, it's keeping me from being who God wants me to be. I'm not fulfilling the call of God wholly in my life if I've got something that's holding me back, that's holding me in shame, condemnation, whatever it happens to be. So we've got to break the change. We've got to break the addictions that are holding us back from these things. Third way to fight back against the plans of the enemy is that we need to spend time with our wives, with our loved ones, because it's more important than our work. It's more important than the Super Bowl. Again, I know I'm not stepping on quite as many toes. If the Bills had made the Super Bowl, you guys would be throwing things at me, I'm pretty sure. Okay? The Super Bowl is fun if you like football, and even if you don't sometimes, but it is not more important than your wife or your family or your relations. If it's something you do together, great. Okay? But it has to be something that builds you up. You need to spend time with those that you, know, you love. We need to start acting like Christ. The scripture does address you wives. You guys have all been waiting for that, right? I've been talking about us beating us guys up for the last half hour. So wives, it does talk to you. And if you go back and read verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5, this is one of the most misused scriptures in the body of Christ. In verse 22, verse, yeah, what, 22, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, period, right? We like to put periods in where they don't belong. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands and submit to me. <laughs> I'm not going home. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. We have to read the entire verse. We have to read it in the context of the verses before and after it. Is, and this is something Anne actually gave me a revelation one time years ago. 
and I don't even know if we were specifically talking about that verse, but basically what it came down to is if I was being the man of God that I'm supposed to be, her submitting to me is not a problem. So everything that I have talked about up to this point is as men, if we're living the way God created us to, if we're doing the things that he's told us to do, wives submitting to me is not that difficult. It's when I'm being ungodly, when I'm not doing the things that I'm supposed to do in Christ, that she's absolutely not going to submit to me. And she shouldn't. And so, guys, if your wife is not submitting to you, don't blame her. Look in the mirror and see if that's where the issue starts with. Is are you the problem that she won't submit because you're not being a man after Christ? So love is not blind. Because if God had looked at us in our sin and said, I'm not going to deal with that, figure it out on your own, where would we be? Hell? God looked at our sin. He didn't have a blinder on. He said, they need help. They're never going to be able to do it on their own. So what did he do? He gave us his son so that we could be redeemed, so we did not have to die in our sins and be separated from his presence for eternity. Love requires you to open your eyes and see. And then love requires us to see and take action. Because just seeing alone isn't enough. If I see my daughter running towards that highway, throw out my hands, I can't do anything. Don't want to hurt her by pulling her hair and getting her back here. I'm losing a daughter. Love requires us to see and take action in love. Isaiah chapter 58 I'll turn in your Bibles there. Again, this is a verse you guys have heard me refer to numerous times at this point over this last year. It's one that God's put heavily on my heart that this is what the body of Christ is supposed to be. This is what PF is called to be. Isaiah 58, verse 6. And God's speaking to, through Isaiah, and he says, you know, he's talking about fasting. But the purpose of it is to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke, to deal your bread to the hungry, and that you bring the poor that are cast out to your house. When you see the naked, you cover him, and you do not hide yourself from your own flesh. Every single one of those things right there requires you to see something. You've got to take the blinders off. Do you want to see somebody that can't provide for themselves because they've lost their job? Nobody wants to see that. But as the body of Christ, we need to take off the blinders and look around and see that there's brokenness in the world. There's brokenness in our community. There's brokenness in this body. As we're sitting here this morning as Praise Fellowship, Russell, Pennsylvania, there's brokenness sitting here in this room right now. Are we just going to ignore it? Or in love, are we going to see it and take action? We've been doing that over these last, especially these last few weeks. 
we've been seeing brokenness, we've been seeing needs, and we've been addressing them. And there's been shaking going on. There's going to continue to be shaking. When God moves, there's a shaking. Things don't remain the same. And that's one of the things that's so important when AJ, the worship team, whoever happens to be up here, when they're bringing worship to us, when they're leading us in worship, worship is about entering into God's presence. Because that's the only place we're ever going to be truly changed is in God's presence. Whether it's reading his word on our own or whether it's corporately gathering here and lifting up praise to him. In his presence is the only thing that's ever going to change us into his image and become who we're supposed to be. So Isaiah 58 chapter, excuse me, 58 verses 6 and 7. I want you guys to be looking at those, thinking about those, praying about them. That's what this place is. That's what this place is becoming. It's what it needs to become, is a place when people can walk through these doors in their brokenness, know that they're not going to be judged and condemned because you got a problem. Because if there's anybody in this room that does not have a problem, please come up here and show me how you did it. Because it's in Christ that we're being redeemed. It's in Christ that we're being cleansed. We're being made into the full image of him by him. Because that's why he died. That's why he gave us his word, is to become more like him. So next week, we'll be talking about blind faith. As this day, you know, as we come to a close here this morning, Valentine's Day tomorrow, celebrate each other. Whether you're married or not, celebrate those in your life. That it shouldn't just be a day for married couples to celebrate. It's, if you're alive and you love God and you have people in your life that you love, let them know. Don't let another get, day go by without telling those in your life that they're special, that they're loved. And so this morning what I want to do is I'm going to ask a few couples to come up and we're going to open up the altar again for some prayer time. Is if you need prayer for a loved one, is if you've lost a loved one recently or mourning somebody and you just need to spend some time with God, it's open. If you have a prodigal child, if you have marriage issues, if you have a future marriage coming up and they just want to gain strength and God's wisdom and guidance, the altar is open for that or for any need. The altar is always open for you to come. back on yeah. all right so what we have represented here is almost 200 years of married life and experience yeah. there's some wisdom here and I said before that there are no perfect marriages on this earth every one of these marriages represented here had some turmoil they had some things that they had to fight through some struggles but they've persevered they've remained loyal and faithful and remaining faithful doesn't mean that there are no hard times I'm gonna say that over and over again the fact that 51 years is represented back there 
doesn't mean it was easy the entire way. But in struggles, we gain strength because our faith, which we'll be talking about next week, blind faith, our faith is made strength is made stronger when it's challenged. Because if it was all just smooth sailing, you know, if you were a novice sailor and you went out on Lake Chautauqua, if it weren't frozen over right now, and there was no wind, no waves, everybody's a good sailor then, right? But let's bring in a nor'easter. Got some white caps going on there. You got some crosswinds going on. That's when you're going to become a really good sailor. And so when our faith is challenged, when the things that we think we believe are challenged, that's what strengthens us. So if anybody's in need of prayer, we're opening up the altar, the time for that to do right now. But in ending today, everybody stand and let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you're not blind to the needs that we have for the the problems that we're facing right now, even the abuse that we've done to each other, Lord. Give us wisdom as we go forth from this day that we'll bring every need to you, no matter how small it seems to us. You know our needs. You know our hurts and our angers and our pains. And if we just give them over to you, Lord, there's healing. There's cleansing. There's newness in you. And that we'll serve out whatever the days that we have left. That we'll serve you with our whole hearts. That we'll glorify you and that we will bring light into the darkness. And that we will resist the enemy. We will rebuke him in authority that we have in Christ's name. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, give you the glory. Amen. So if there's any needs, come up front. Do not leave here with your pains and your burdens. Leave them with Christ.